I was browsing through my collection of movies, some still on DVD, some on Blu-ray, some via subscription services like Netflix and so on. No, I don't have any on 8mm, though I do still have a few VCR tapes, thank you very much, trying to find something to watch to while away the last few remnants of summer. Like some of you, I wasn't sure what I wanted to watch, but I'd know it when I saw it. So I came across my copy of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury Queen biopic, and I watched it for the third or fourth time. My lovely wife had taken me to the Queen concert a few weeks ago, where original band members Brian May and Roger Taylor were joined by new frontman Adam Lambert. It was a wonderful night, as Queen is my favorite rock band. My wife knows this, so she pounced on the opportunity when the band made a two-night appearance in Inglewood. I'd like Queen since high school. I was between my junior and senior years when they performed their iconic Live Aid in the summer of 85, but I had been going through some of their catalog prior to that. I must admit, I was not a super fan in those days. My musical experience with them was confined to their more well-known songs, all of which I loved. You may think that this is unremarkable. After all, a high school kid in the mid-80s who likes Queen, what could be more ordinary? I would agree with you, except for another musical fact. My first love in music was, and remains, Gilbert and Sullivan. Some of you won't know who those two are, and for good reason. Gilbert and Sullivan were playwrights and songwriters who specialized in satirical light opera. What's light opera? I'm glad you asked. I'll bet you didn't expect to hear the definition of light opera in this podcast, but that just goes to demonstrate the wonder and majesty that is me. Comic opera, as opposed to serious opera, really got its start in the late 17th century in Italy, roughly a hundred years after opera itself was born in the same country. The first work we consider to be opera was written around 1597 in Florence, and its performances were limited to the court. It's curious to note that while opera was getting its start, Shakespeare's Globe Theater would be built, and Chinese merchants would be strengthening their trade network in silks and porcelain. Anyway, comic opera got started in the late 1600s, and by 1730, a genre of comic opera called opera buffa had been established. This made its way to France, where it was called opera comique, after a sort of culture war in France. French comic opera was shaking off the chains of Italian comic opera and establishing their own style and canon. Interestingly enough, this French comic operatic revolution was happening at precisely the same time the Americans were fighting in their own revolution. Strange, isn't it? That while American patriots were crafting our country's original documents that would establish the United States as an independent political entity, French composers were trying to establish their own style of comic opera. In fact, the French Revolution, which started officially in 1789, didn't just overthrow the monarchy and try and establish a liberal democracy, it also had profound effects on French musical culture. We tend to think of revolutions as only political or maybe military, but they're frequently combined with cultural ones. Well, I find that interesting anyway. Moving ahead a bit more to the middle of the 19th century and moving across the channel to England, we find the comic opera landscape dominated by burlesque and low pantomime works. Well, I've already plunged far deeper into history than I intended, so suffice to say that these entertainments were low class, low quality, low brow, and just plain low. 
The English and London audiences were not at all pleased with how these base entertainments failed to live up to the higher standards of British artistic history. Enter William Schwenk Gilbert and Arthur Sullivan. They'd attempted a collaboration in 1871, which was six years after the end of the American Civil War, with one of their lesser works, Thespis, and were put back together by a producer named Richard Doyley Cart. They produced a one-act light opera called Trial by Jury, which was a runaway success. Their partnership was born. The two would produce 14 comic operas, or light operas, or operettas, between 1871 and 1896, a 25-year collaboration. Their three most well-known works are HMS Pinafore, The Pirates of Penzance, and The Mikado. The Mikado was the most successful of their operas. The opening up of trade between England and Japan was the basis of the Japanese setting of the opera, though the piece is very British and satirizes British bureaucracy and was being performed at the same time Americans would be reading Mark Twain's new novel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, in 1885. Some few wealthy Americans might even have been discussing the opera or the novel on a device invented nine years earlier, the telephone. Fast forward about a hundred years, and you'll find a young Sean O'Brien, yes, I, in, I was one, once young, I was, listening enraptured to the Gilbert and Sullivan operas, watching Kevin Klein play the Pirate King and Pirates of Penzance, and memorizing the lyrics to the librettos. And yes, I sang along and even ghost-composed and ghost-conducted. In fact, Gilbert and Sullivan would come in quite handy during my college football years. You see, the hazing rituals for new players involve making them perform various embarrassing tasks and contests during team mealtimes. I'd seen some of these command performances and was terrified at what I'd be asked, forced to do. So I endeavored to get ahead of the game. I memorized the Major General Patter song, or in my case, re-memorized it, and awaited my call. When my turn came to be hazed, I took the bull by the horns and did it to myself, singing the song a cappella to the rest of the team. I followed my own dictum about singing. If you can't sing well, sing loudly. So impressed were my college superiors by this that I was let off the hook and indeed asked or commanded to perform at various other functions. So prolific was my output that I was written up in the Los Angeles Times as the opera singing lineman. My coach, a simply great man named Dale Weedoff, whom I admire to the top of my ability, said in the paper that I was a, quote, different kind of cat, end quote. So... I like Gilbert and Sullivan, and I like Queen. How is this possible? I myself was baffled by this seeming contradiction. Liking a rock band from the 1970s and 80s and liking comedic opera from 100 years prior seemed odd. Add to this that I enjoy classical and Baroque music, Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, and others. I eventually figured it out. What do all my likes have in common? Melody. I'm a sucker for melody. Bach gives me the beautifully elegant, even mathematical complexity of melody. Arthur Sullivan's tunes are among the most catchy ever composed. And, of course, Queen and Freddie Mercury deliver powerful and memorable melodies unrivaled in rock history. It also explains why so much of modern pop music is distasteful to me. 
I can find no meaningful melody, no elegant, complex, or even just powerful lines of music running through most songs nowadays. Oh, I'm sure someone out there could tell me that so-and-so has a great song. In truth, I am somewhat fond of Lady Gaga and her talent. Or that not all modern music is toneless or saccharine, but I'm afraid that I find that melody is the soul of music to me. I guess that's why I gravitate towards intricately worked out plots as well in fiction. And why I find reality TV so boring and useless. Reality TV is the pop music of television, I think. I sometimes like to fantasize about Freddie Mercury meeting William S. Gilbert and Arthur Sullivan. Would they have hit it off? I like to think they would have. Three genius artists, three people able to see what others can't and can translate their visions into entertainments that transcend their times. Throw in William Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Harlan Ellison, and Isaac Asimov, and I'd have myself a hell of a dinner party. In the meantime, I'll just remember that Freddie was the model of a modern music rock frontman. <laughs>